Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Well, thank you so much to uh, our Dickens carolers. I think that being a Dickens caroler in Florida is a pretty big commitment. <laughs> so uh, we are so blessed by that. Thank you so much. And uh, today, um, we are at Dickens, you know, wrote a Christmas story with Scrooge in it. And uh, we're going to talk about the Scrooge of the... Uh, New Testament gospel story when Jesus is born, uh, King Herod, as uh, you saw uh, Mike and Brady delightfully uh, portray. So um, let's bow our heads for prayer as we get going. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you uh, so much for this opportunity to be together. And Lord, uh, we often like to look at uh, the heroes of stories, but sometimes there's more to learn from the villains. And so help us to uh, learn what we can from Heron today. We pray in your name. Amen. So uh, we have been doing a series of sermons uh, called Arise to Christmas. And in those series of sermons, we've been taking a look at different people who had an opportunity in the Christmas story to arise, to get up, to do something, to take action. Um, and like I said, we often like to talk about the people who take the correct action, but there's oftentimes things to be learned from the people who don't take the correct action. And, you know, we often don't like to talk about Herod during the Christmas series. We kind of quickly gloss over him. We talk about the Magi, we talk about the shepherds, but we want to move on from Herod because, I mean, it's, it's just kind of a depressing story, to be honest with you. And yet there's some really important things in there, and so that's what we kind of hope to really delve into today. Our text today comes to us from Matthew, the second chapter, the third verse. You'll remember last week's actually came from Matthew, the second chapter, the second verse. So we do one verse a, a week, and it'll take us about 15 years to get through the book of Matthew, but we'll be there. So this week, the, our verse is, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. This is that the Magi had arrived saying that there was a new king in town, as was everyone in Jerusalem. I want to talk to you about this a little bit, but for King Herod to be deeply disturbed was not unusual. In fact, in researching the sermon, I spent a fair amount of time reading um, the history given to us from Josephus, a very uh, famous and prominent Jewish historian, contemporary to the New Testament writers. And the, one of the things that just really jumped out to me is that Josephus spends a lot of time talking about Herod. And he spends a lot of time using the words fear and afraid in relationship to Herod. Herod was afraid. Herod feared greatly. Herod, there is a lot of fear that lives in Herod's life. And that's one of the things that I really want us to hone in on today as we think about Herod. Herod. So who was this Herod guy? We, we kind of know from the biblical story, Matthew, that he was not a good guy, right? The Magi show up. He's, um, he's a crafty guy, really. I mean, he doesn't just come out and say, you tell me where this guy is, take him to me, I'm going to kill this baby. Instead, he 
He plays politics, a little intrigue. This is classic Herod. If you read anything else about Herod, you'll see this is just classic Herod. He doesn't come at it straight on. He's like, okay, cool. I'm glad that you're here. Um, that's, that's great. Why don't you go find him? And when you do, come back, let me know so I can go and worship him too. I'm, I'm kind of busy, tied up with affairs here right now, but you've got some time clearly because you've been on a trip. So you go do it. You find him, you come tell me, I'll worship him. And his intent was to kill the baby. And so when the wise men don't show up again to let him know where the baby is, he becomes enraged. And from the wise men, he had kind of come to an idea of when the star first showed up. And so Herod never wanted to take any chances, says, okay, I'm just going to send my soldiers to kill all the babies in Bethlehem in the vicinity that are two years and younger. And that'll just solve the problem. Because that was Herod's way of operating. And historians often find it a little strange that no other account other than the gospel writer, Matthew, talks about the massacre of these babies. There is no other account of that happening. And so some people have said, well, then it probably didn't happen because this is the only place that's recorded. However, other people have said, well, Herod was so notorious for doing bad things that this one actually didn't even come close to the top of the list. And Bethlehem was a really small place. You remember we sing, oh, little town of Bethlehem, right? It's not just, we're not just singing it because it was a little town. Historians think that there probably would have been less than 20 babies under the age of two in that area. And that's not at all to minimize what he did because it was horrific. But for the time period, with so many other atrocities, you have to think that the Romans were crucifying sometimes hundreds and up to a thousand people at a time. So for 20 babies to be killed in that time period, it may not be that surprising that it didn't make the top list of, of other historians and people's viewpoint of things, which takes us to something that I think might be important to think about and that we sometimes miss in the Christmas story, the warmth of the Christmas story, right? We like the glow. I've never seen, uh, I've never seen cow poop, manure, donkey manure in any of the creches that I've ever been around. You know, the manger scenes, you never see that. It's always clean, beautiful space. I don't know how many barns you've been in, but they're not clean. Okay, they're not clean. And so we sanitize the Christmas story. But the truth is that Jesus was born into a violent world. And when we minimize the violence that he was born into, we minimize the need for him. I'll say that one more time because I want you to think about that for a second. When we minimize the violence of the world that Jesus was born into, we minimize the reason why he was so needed. So just to tell you a little bit more about Herod, um, in spite of this terrible thing that he did, Herod was actually a pretty impressive character in history. Um, he was a very, very, very smart and talented human being. Uh, his father made him in charge of Galilee, and he eventually grew that to where he actually had control given to him by the Romans of almost all of Israel, all the way through, almost up to Egypt. I mean, he really, he took what little he was given and expanded it. 
He was an incredible architect and builder. Uh, he built aqueducts that the Romans sent people to see how he did it because his aqueducts were better than theirs. That's how smart he was. He was also a pretty talented politician. Um, he, was, he was Jewish through conversion. His family converted to Judaism, but he wasn't ethnically Jewish. He was Edomite. And so the Jewish people always looked at him with a little bit of, you're not really our king. You're the king of the Jews, but you're not our king because you're not, you're not really one of us. You're, yes, you grew up in the Jewish faith, but you're not really one of us. And so when, he, when it came time for him to be really taking the big center stage as, as king in that area, he got rid of his first wife, who didn't, wasn't particularly Jewish, and her sons, and he was actually nice to them. He just sent them away. Um, and, and, so he, and then he married a Jewish princess. Uh, Mary Omne was her name. And uh, she didn't particularly care for him because he immediately killed some people that she loved uh, because he was afraid that because he had married her that they were going to think that they were important and try to... And so he, he, he offed them. She didn't like him, but he liked her a lot. He was, he was really infatuated with Mary Omne. And so there's, there's a lot of evidence that he really particularly cared for this woman. And, uh, but because of who he was, he could never feel safe. He always was afraid. And so when some people put into his mind that Mary Omne was cheating on him, it got to him to the point where he finally had her executed and her kids. So that's what this guy did to the people that were closest to him in his, in his family. But he was always trying to find out how to further himself and how to be politically astute. Like I said, he built the Jewish temple. It wasn't just because he was trying to do the right thing by God. He just realized that if he built a nice, impressive temple, the Jewish people might like him a little bit better. So he did. One of my favorite stories about Herod, um, and it's a fantastic, the first time I heard it, I uh, was reading or, or listening to a fabulous series of lectures um, by uh, the chair of the archaeology department at UNC, last name is Magnus, and the series of lectures called The Holy Land Revealed. But it's actually recorded in Josephus's work. So in biblical times, you had patrons and you had their clients. And so there was a relationship between the patron and the client where the, uh, the patron would do good things for the client, but the client was expected to reciprocate and do good things back. And so there's this kind of mutually beneficial relationship that went on. And Herod was particularly close to a historical figure some of you may have heard of by the name of Mark Anthony. Um, and so he, Mark Anthony was his patron. Uh, he was one of the ones that gave him a lot of power in Palestine. And so Herod was constantly helping out Mark Anthony. Well, Mark Anthony got into a fight with a guy named Octavian. The two of them were kind of ruling Rome, and they suddenly realized that two people being in charge doesn't work really well. And so they wanted only one. So Mark Anthony goes to fight with Octavian. And, uh, and Herod immediately runs to his sponsor's defense and to help him out. He goes to help out Octavian, sends troops. He himself shows up ready to go to battle. And Octavian says, you know, I really don't need you here. There's actually a problem over in Palestine I need you to go take care of. So why don't you go take care of that? And Herod goes, well, are you sure you don't need me? And, and I think this might be, and Octavian says, no, no, I got this. Mark Anthony's nothing. I can take him down. And, uh, or I'm sorry, Mark Anthony says, I can take Octavian down. And so Mark Anthony sends Herod away. 
And uh, so Herod goes on his way, but he's still supplying uh, supplies. He's, he's doing what he can. Well, there's a big battle that happens between Mark Anthony and Octavian at a place called Actium. And uh, Mark Anthony gets crushed. He doesn't, he's not killed in that battle, but he gets crushed. And it's pretty clear that his, he's coming to the end of things for him. And yet Herod doesn't give up on Mark Anthony. He sends his advice to Mark Anthony on what he thinks needs to happen if, if he's going to have any chance of surviving. And Mark Anthony completely ignores him. And at that point, Herod knows, because he's politically astute, that Mark Anthony is done. So what does he do? Does he like, oh, well, I'm, I'm in trouble now because I've supported Mark Anthony. When Octavian uh, takes control of everything, I'm gonna get thrown out. So what does he do? He packs himself up and he goes and he finds Octavian. He comes in front of Octavian, takes off his crown, comes down in front of Octavian and says, here's what I want to tell you. I am not your friend. I've been the friend of Mark Anthony. I've supplied him all these troops. I've supplied him all these supplies. I was willing to go fight for him. I did this, 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 this. And so he names all the ways that he helped Mark Anthony, which seems like a really bad idea to tell the guy that you are fighting against. But that's, the, that's the, how cunning Herod was. And this is the words that Josephus records that, that, that the final little bit that uh, Herod says to Octavian, he says to Octavian, he says, what I'd like you to remember is not whose friend I was, but what kind of friend I am. And I'd like to be your friend. And Octavian at that moment says, yeah, you're my guy. And Herod is loyal to him from that moment on. That's, that's Herod, always trying to get ahead, always looking at the angles, always trying to think, but always living in fear. It's a sad thing that somebody that is as resourceful, as smart, as talented as Herod lived in perpetual and constant fear. So let me ask you this question. And I'd like you to, to think about it for, for a second for me. Why does Matthew include the story of Herod? Was it because he needed to take up chapter two of his book? No, he didn't have to do that. Luke tells a completely different story. Luke doesn't tell that story. Neither does Mark, neither does John. So why does Matthew tell the story of Herod? There must have been a purpose in there. I think you can probably come to a number of different conclusions. I invite you to go home and talk about it over lunch. You can feel free to disagree with the conclusion I'm about to come to. In fact, I'd love it if you did. It would tell me you're thinking for yourself, and that's important. I think Matthew does it for what I said a little bit earlier. Matthew wanted us to understand the world that Jesus was being born into. He wanted us to understand the peril that Jesus faced coming into this world. And Matthew goes out of his way to connect this story of Herod to several Old Testament prophecies that make Jesus the Messiah. But he also does one other thing. He wants us to compare and contrast the king of fear and the king of peace. There's a wonderful book that I highly recommend called The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker. 
And Gavin talks about how fear is not a bad thing. It actually is something that is important in our lives. And we should listen when we experience it because it's telling us we're in an unsafe situation. But Gavin will also tell you that living in fear becomes a problem. It's one thing to listen to the fact that you feel that something's not right. It's another thing to constantly focus on that. And it's another thing when we make problems that aren't even there. When we're afraid of things that we don't even need to be afraid of. I came across this uh, as I was researching this, and I thought it was a really fascinating um, quote. This is from Scott Bond. He's a PhD. He's a criminologist and author, and this was in Psychology Today. Scott wrote, I believe that fear is actually the root of all anger. Think about that for a second. And Scott's talking about, uh, in this article, he's talking about the sources of violence. And Scott's arguing that Anger creates violence. So if anger creates violence, what creates anger? Fear. I believe that fear is actually the root of all anger. I've interviewed some very violent criminals, and my candid conversations with these individuals has taught me that their violence as adults is largely a response to fear and resentments that were not resolved in childhood. If we take a look at Herod, his dad was constantly killing people to get what he needed. So it would not be surprising at all to Herod to think that everybody was going to do the same. He grew up in a violent childhood where you had to fight for what you had to get. Violence. Violence is caused by anger and it's caused by fear. Think about the racism that happens in our world. If you really think what it is, it's because people are scared. They're scared that somebody else is going to take what they think is theirs. They're scared of this, that, and other. And whenever you start encountering violent people, ask yourself, what are they scared of? And if you really want to make it personal, ask yourself, when you start feeling angry, what am I scared of? What's causing me to feel fear in this moment? Here's the problem with when we let fear run our life. Annabelle Hurd, she's a counselor. This is from welldoing.org. In fact, when activated by fear, neurological pathway shortcut by bypassing the neocortex and activating the amygdala and the reptilian brain, making our behavior impulsive. Impulsive behavior can get us in pretty big trouble pretty quick, can it? And that's what happens with anger. This is what really got me. Annabelle says, we are without conscious thought or the capacity to feel emotions. We are much more likely to act in violence. So when we feel fear and when we let it control us and when we don't label it as fear, we're actually much more likely to become violent in what we do. And violence, remember, is not just a physical act. Words can be violent. There's more than a few people who have been hurt and emotionally scarred by words, not just physical actions. I think the thing that scares me in this is the thought that when we feel fear and when we let it start owning us, it actually cuts off all of our other emotions. 
And that's exactly what we see with Herod. What kind of person thinks killing babies is okay? The kind of person who's afraid and has had that fear turn off their natural emotions. But Jesus came to change that. Our executive pastor, John Monday, and I were, were talking about this. It was interesting. He's actually doing something similar today with the youth, and we were talking about this subject. And John said, you know, where's the first time that you see fear show up in the Bible? It's immediately after Adam and Eve sin. We were afraid of God. And God says, why were you afraid? We were afraid. But you know what? The beautiful thing is that Jesus came to be the answer to that fear. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus came to tell you that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of God. You don't have to live in fear in a violent world. Yes, this world is violent, but you do not have to live in fear. This is a beautiful words of Zechariah in Luke chapter one. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give us light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace, to remove our anger and the violence that comes from that and to give us peace. Jesus says this of himself, I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. And what Jesus is trying to say to us is, Trials and sorrows are a part of our human experience. They are inevitable. Even if you love Jesus, you will have hard times. I see so many times where somebody comes to Christ and they're shocked when life gets hard. But that's to be expected. Jesus doesn't say the trials and sorrows will go away. He simply says, I have come so that you can have peace in that, so that you will not have to live in fear Take heart, because I have overcome the world. Think about what Jesus meant by that. Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. So take heart, I'm crucified, and if I was raised again, you'll be raised again someday too. You do not have to live in fear on this earth. Family, did Herod have to be afraid of Jesus? He didn't. As Jesus would later tell Herod's son, I did not come to have an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. Imagine, Herod didn't have to be afraid at all. In fact, Herod could have gone to that baby and found peace, maybe for the first time in his life. Herod's life didn't get better after missing the opportunity there. It got worse. Jesus invites you today not to be afraid of him, but to come to him and find peace in him. In a violent, hard, mean, nasty world, which we live in today, 
Jesus wants to be your Prince of Peace this Christmas season. And as we talk about Jesus' first advent and look forward to his second advent, Jesus does not want you to live in fear of what may be coming down. We look at Matthew 24 and we see the wars and terrible times. Jesus did not say that so that we would be afraid, but simply so that we would know it's to be expected. We don't have to be afraid of it because he's in charge and he told us so it would happen and he told us he'd get us through it. If when you think about Jesus' second coming, you feel fear, it's time for you to come to the Prince of Peace and find peace in your heart. Jesus came so that we can have life and we can have that life to the full. Mike, you did such a great job portraying Herod today. Imagine if that Herod had come to that baby. Imagine the history story and how it would have been different. That baby posed no problems for Herod, only opportunities. Don't let fear take away the opportunities that Jesus wants to give you. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.